Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Unlaced Podcast. If you are new here, I thank you. Please give us a like and subscribe. It's how we grow. Uh, if you have come back, you know I love you very much. So thank you for coming back to the show. We appreciate it. It's been a big year. And last week, we obviously had UFC fighter Jack Jenkins on, who's just made the UFC from cutting uh, Peruvian guy's eye open when, in an absolute bloodbath in uh, Las Vegas when he when he won that fight and Dana White gave him a contract to the UFC. He's going to be fighting in Perth in February. Braden, we're probably going to get over for that, aren't we? We have to watch him. Um, but anyway, moving into this show, more importantly, this is the second time on the show for one of the busiest ladies in Melbourne, Jackie Lauda, without question. <laughs> you are. Except you have to give me credit this time. It did not take 41 emails <laughs> oh, yeah. to actually you get are- me on. I feel really proud of myself <laughs> you that the- I'm on much quicker this time. You were the hardest guest uh-huh. I've ever had to get I'm on so the first sorry. time. Yeah, we had a 41 email email trail. We did. Just to book in a podcast. But this time it was literally a text. Yeah. And I was on it. <laughs> yeah, straight away. So I've improved. Do you know what, though? Because the reason why I did want to get you back on, and thank you to all the listeners out there that have been like giving us feedback and sharing it, but a lot of people have been loving like the discussions around like mental health and all these topics yeah, and cool. listening to people who are going through tough times, what they do. And it's like, well, people don't know who I know, but Jackie Lauder. Oh, I've got some contracts. <laughs> but um, do you think you get the credit you deserve in your space? Because you are like kind of like this silent hero in society. Uh, I don't really see it that way. Like it's always really nice when people give you feedback or they they say that you're a really important part of their journey. Um, for me, it's actually just the sitting back and watching them achieve. Like I love the fact that I'm in the background um, mm. because I think the athletes are the star of the show and their coaches and all that sort of stuff. So <clears throat> I, I don't really see it as do you get the credit or not. The players, the athletes that you work with, they'll always say thank you and so you know that they appreciate the role that you play for them, so mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, fair enough. Well, because I think for, for those that don't know, if you haven't seen the first episode with uh, Jackie, go back because we do talk a little bit more about her day-to-day roles and uh, particularly the impact she's making with sort of the modern-day athlete and so forth. But for those just to cover that now, what what are some of the areas you're covering? Are you still doing the same? Have you added more to your arsenal of no. <laughs> the sporting teams and the people that you're working with? So I'm still I'm still doing a lot of clinic hours where I see individual athletes, um, specialise a lot in clinical stuff like eating disorders, chronic fatigue. The last three years I've done a heap of work in the ADHD space, mm. um, which is really huge because um, – it's a really untapped area for adult ADHD, but particularly with athletes and active people. So that's been, for me, a really interesting area to go into, and I'm getting lots more athletes and individuals come through. And then I'm still with Collingwood, um, so netball program, AFLW, um, which I will be stepping away from um, at the end of this season just yeah. because my role within the men's program um, has been bigger yeah. and that now. So um it's, it's only fair to the athletes to make sure they all have their own person. Um, and then I'm still with Melbourne Storm as well. So I'm busy. <laughs> so yeah, you, yeah, that's yeah. I said. You're the busiest lady in Melbourne. Yeah. Do you find across the different codes that the athletes share similar challenges or is it different subjected to the sport? It's completely similar in terms of they're all elite at what they do. They all want to be the best. They all have personal lives mm. as well. So there's no possible way you can – just deal with the sporting side. You have to deal with all the clinical and the personal issues, but that's what I love about it is that like my job's such a privilege because I get to develop a real relationship with these humans Mm. and you be a really big part of their life and they tell you stuff they don't tell anybody else, but that has a huge responsibility that comes with that to, you know, it's, it is hard sometimes. How do you deal with that? Like just carrying, like you are the biggest vault ever. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm ever going to put a dead body in a ditch, I know the one person I will tell because you <laughs> hold the most secrets in Melbourne. Yeah, I probably- That's like client confidential, right? You yeah. can't, like you have to in a sense. Yeah, that's our job. But I think also it's, like I said, it's a real privilege, but I think it's it's such an important role to play because it allows athletes to then go out 
and compete. It allows people to go and, and get on with their day. And so mm. if you can do that for somebody, um, but it, it's sometimes it's really heartbreaking too mm. when you know what people are going through. And then it's really frustrating. For me, probably the most challenging part is in the public space because you I have a lot of athletes that are quite high profile that you work with and when people get it so wrong about that person mm. or they misreport or don't do don't do their facts the damage that they do behind the scenes that's what infuriates me is these people are humans they might be in the public domain for what they do but they're trying to also most of them are under the age of 30 yeah. so they're also trying to figure out who they are as a person and that's my job I think a big part of our job in sport, whether it's coaches, a psychologist, whatever, is at the end of the day, if these guys leave their sport a better human, they understand themselves, they feel valued as a person, not just their um, sporting achievements, then I feel like we've done our role. Yeah. But that's super hard when, you know, they breathe in the wrong direction and someone's got a comment on it. Yeah. Like that that's what frustrates me probably the most because you see what it does to them I and think, their families. I think we said it last time, but even more so now. I mean, you'd be getting pay rises more off because of the media <laughs> storm that comes. It's like that we need more Jackie Louders in the game because the well, scrutiny around I think so. Yeah, well <laughs> but like that they do, they give they're the reason why you're so profound in a sport in a sense. Not just because you need athlete performance, but addedly now it's yeah. like like how do you, there's some of these guys like 18, 19, 20, 21, and then they're like on the front page for things for that every kid their age is doing. Yeah. And that that's where I think the education really now needs to come in is we talk a lot about the terminology of mental health. And this is across the board now. This isn't just athletes. The terminology of mental health is thrown out there. The understanding of mental health versus mental illness versus the management of that, the accommodations you need to make for that is is so poor, I think. Um, so our awareness is better, but our education and our understanding, there's a huge gap that we need to now really fill. Can you define like mental health to me? Because everyone throws that around yep. like quite a bit. And I don't know if it's ever been used out of context in certain things, but it's quite a powerful word, I think, when yeah. people are really sort of having mental health issues. Yep. Um, so how would you like frame it and define it in your language? So your, your mental health is no different to your day-to-day physical health, right? So you either take care of your physical health or you don't, yeah. right? So you might have a sore leg or you've got a bad back or you've got some other ailments that you need to make sure on a day-to-day basis you take care of. Mental health is the same. What's my day-to-day mood like? You know, how am I managing myself? How am I managing my stress levels? It's, it's that sort of stuff. Mm. Then you go into physical illness where someone might have diabetes, um, they might have heart conditions, those sort of things. Mental health's the same. So they may have um, some sort of mental illness like it might be a bipolar or it might be a schizophrenia where we require medication. It's something that they have not brought on themselves. Their environment, their day-to-day may not be helping them manage their condition. Mm. So mental illness is where we'll have medication involved if it's um, disabilities in terms of learning difficulties, processing things, um, neurodevelopmental things. That's where you go, that's how that person was born. So Mm. that's where the frustration is, is they think, you know, mental health and mental illness, people get it confused, but they misuse it. But every single human being has mental health. I find it really interesting in all of, in so many of our sports that we have Indigenous round, which is awesome. We have pride round, which is awesome, but there's no mental health round. A hundred percent of the community has mental, we all have mental health. How is there no mental health round? Yeah. Yeah. I find that astounding. Yeah. That's crazy. So fly the flag. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we're breaking it here. Yeah. Maybe we're breaking it here. We're pushing. We'll send this podcast to the right people. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's what it is. Every, no one is immune from mental health. It's how you manage yourself on a day to day basis that then contributes to that. Right. Now this is a little bit of a twist to that because obviously you're, do you say you're a psychologist or sports psychologist first? Yeah. So that's a really good line, I guess. So after after you've done all your main training, everyone comes out after six years, minimum six years full-time, you'll come out as a psychologist, so your general psychology. But then if you want to get a specialty area as sport and exercise psychologist, clinical psychologist, um, child developmental, 
whatever it is, you then go on and do roughly another two years where you work under a supervisor with that specialty and you've got to have supervision sessions and do your training in that to get your specialty title. Mm. So I'm a psychologist and my area of specialty is sport and exercise, but then you may then pick another thing. Like I said, for me recently, it's been the ADHD in the last few years, but it's eating disorders I've specialised in for a long time. So there's certain illnesses and conditions that various practitioners will specialise in and they've right. done the hard yards in that too. Right. Because the way I was framing it before as well to someone I was speaking to today, because I was <clears throat> speaking about you as like a sports psychologist and like, well, why why are they so important to athletes? I was like, well, because this person played sport. I was like, well, think of you. What's your best performance you could do? Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. So why don't you do that every single time you step on the field? And they're like, Oh, yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Mike, it was probably your freaking brain because yeah. your body can, if you're, if you're not injured, you should be able to play the same level. Mm-hmm. Every, but it's in, interesting how like, that's why coaches and like obviously senior, senior people in sport love consistent players because yep. it's almost the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to Because you're controlling up here as well. Correct. Yeah. But if you want to get consistent with your, with your hitting a tennis ball, right, <clears throat> you practice over and over and over. It's amazing in sport, the number of people that come and see you and they're like, so I leave next week for world champs and I just need to understand my anxiety and how I prepare for matches. Mm. I'm like, so in a week, I'm just going to nail it <laughs> and give you everything you need and you're going to come back a world champion and that's going to be totally because of me. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Sorry, that's not happening. Yeah, you okay. have to practice your mental skills. So this is why yeah. now we get such young athletes come through because they're starting to understand that we have a role and it's not a bad thing now to go and see How a psychologist. How young are we talking here? My youngest person I've probably ever seen well, I told you last time on the podcast about that soccer yeah. that soccer kid who was two and a half. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's got to be a But I think probably the youngest athlete I've had that came purely to improve their sport was eight years old. What? Yeah, this kid was awesome. One of my favourites. But is that like? Table tennis player. He why, was the cutest why, little thing. Why? Oh, his, feet, his feet did not even touch the ground from my couch. It was the best. Surely we're worrying about getting the feet touching the ground before we go on and see the best sports psych nah. in the country. Yeah, he was he was <clears> awesome. <throat> but, yeah, so that's the young. But I, I get a lot of, like, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, really common now. Why has that become so common? Because when I was 10, 11, and 12, I don't think I knew anyone yep. going down that path. If they were, it might not have been because of sport, for example. Well, I think professional sports now associate themselves with a sports psych. Like, it's not embarrassing to have us on staff yeah. anymore. Yeah. So, your younger kids. It was actually 10 years ago. Yeah. Not, and then, you know what? I'm <laughs> very big in this, but like that whole headspace now. But at the AIS, <clears throat> when I was there 10 years ago, I had access to two sports psych every day, every hour, and I never went once. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, what the fuck do I need to go to them for? Yeah. Well, also, too, because there was always the, oh, they're going to tell the coach. Like that's our job is they think we're going to tell the coach everything, which we're not allowed to do. Yeah. Um, sometimes you will talk to the coach with the permission of the athlete, but I think now younger kids are seeing the elite in their sport actually use the sport so I can talk about it openly. There's more media articles, like we're more prominent. Um, people know about us more. Mm. So therefore it's just like, oh, I'm going to see the physio. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go see Jackie or whichever sports like they're seeing or psychologists yeah. that they're seeing. So now it's okay to go and see somebody and there's nothing wrong with you. There's That's not a weakness. That's actually and now seen as, as a strength and just another part of your training program. Mm, okay. So, yeah, so we're cool all of a sudden. Yeah, know, I'm actually right? accept, I'm acceptable now. Well. You've timed your run I'm well. acceptable. You're allowed to be seen with me. You don't have to run. <laughs> I know, I'm it's coming so to your house for barbecues a, now. I, <laughs> Ten years ago, I couldn't go near him. <laughs> I have a social life now because people are not embarrassed to be next to me. <laughs> yeah. What, in your opinion, makes a great psychologist? Uh, I think... <laughs> I reckon the number one thing is that you have an understanding. I'm not there to um, to make you better just because I'm I'm part of that process. I think it's when you actually genuinely just go, I love being a small part of your journey. Yeah. But 
I've got some skills that I can help upskill you on that you can then go and implement. So it's about making sure it's client-centred first. Right. Um, And I also think for me it's very much about learning. Like I have always reading something, got my head in a book. Like I love learning new things. And because this space now has just exploded so much – and you understand more and more about what makes a human tick. Yeah. So I think it's a passion, but that's probably the same as any industry you go into. Yeah, what okay. makes a good lawyer is someone who's really passionate about what right. they do, okay. but it's got to be that people focus. Yeah, okay, people-centric. Yeah. Because that's what I was thinking as well, just on that aspect, like is there, a, is there a way for certain individuals to identify a good psychologist for them to, to speak to, like, or does it not really matter? Look, I think it's, it's a bit hit and miss, like, Pretty much everyone, you you can go and see um, a doctor and, oh, I don't like that. I didn't feel comfortable with that doctor. Mm. They were too clinical, but I don't think they heard me. Yeah. So a psych is the same, is you've got to find that right click and that right personality. And I'm not going to be the right person for everybody, Mm. but somebody else is. And I think that as any medical practitioner, if you can recognise and say, hey, you know what, I, I think I can probably help you but I reckon there's someone who's much more skilled than right. me in this area. Like if, you <coughs> so know. So you I, would push them or like push them to that person type yeah. thing. Yeah. I've okay. got a colleague who is, their space is, you know, racing and eventing and, and right. all that sort of stuff. Gotcha. That's that's how they've grown up. That's how they've competed. They're a sports like They're awesome at what they do. That's the best person mm. for that jockey to go and see or someone else who's amazing and has grown up with cricket. Like I can help with some skills. Mm. But depending on where their need is, I have no issue forwarding someone on and going, I reckon somebody else is actually going to be the perfect fit for you. See how you go. So you never kick them out. But when you recognize that, hey, I think this might need more specialty than me, refer them on. That's a sign of a good practitioner. I'm not keeping the client because that's my benefit. Yeah. I'm actually doing what's in the best interest of the client. Every single time, best piece of advice I got given was if you ask yourself when you've maybe shared something personal or you've given somebody some advice, was that in the best interest of my client and their growth and development? If the answer is yes, I'm really comfortable with what I've told them. Right. If the answer is no, you've got to check yourself and just go, well, hang on, why am I doing that? That's not what I'm here for. So you've always, it's just like you're playing poker at times in a sense. Yeah, like, what, very much. What, how am I going to play this hand in the best interest of yep. the person I'm playing against type yep. thing? And me. sometimes the, the best thing you can do is you, you make yourself relatable. Like I think you've got to make yourself relatable thinking, okay, if you come in and talk to me, you want to be able to just have a chat, right? Mm. Because you're going to be the most open to learning when you feel comfortable with the person you're sitting with. So if I can make somebody feel really comfortable, I can find common ground with them. Like what do we have in common? We might know somebody in common. We might follow the same footy team. Um, We might like the same TV show or we're into the same music. Like I like to find out about the person because then that information is really helpful when they're struggling. That can help me put a good strategy together for them. Like, oh, okay. So you might have certain music that you just play and go, come on, let's go for a walk. Or you talk about, you know, I'm – was on the motorbike circuit for a long time. So I've got someone who's really into motorbikes. I can talk to them about that. I don't look like the bike chick. (laughs) This is the best part. You've got it. Yeah, but I've got that lingo because that's where I spent so much time. So you're like, oh, my God, did you see the supercross racing that was here the other week? Like how good was that or whatever it is? Yeah. So you can talk to them about something that's relatable and all of a sudden they're relaxed and they, they're happy to talk to you about stuff because there's a trust there. Right. Understood. Now, that's funny because a lot of people have put a lot of trust in me in this space, which is the irony. But um, thank you to everyone that's been tuning into particularly some of this content. And a lot of people shared a lot of feedback or questions they wanted to throw at you, which we are going to filter through okay. throughout this. But for anyone that is listening and feeling like they need to talk some talk to someone or get something off their chest, get that help, but they're like a little bit concerned or worried, what would be some advice you can give them to kind of take that leap? So I think if you're not someone who normally talks to anybody, start with someone who's close to you that you feel comfortable with and trust. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be um, a big conversation. It might just be, hey, just letting you know, I'm just struggling a bit at the moment, don't really want to talk about it, but I'm just letting you know I'm struggling. So then if you're my mate and I've just told you that today, you might send me a message tomorrow and say, hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. Mm. Like, or if you're doing something that you might go, oh, we have that in common, you might just give me a call and say, hey, I'm just going to go see this movie. Do you want to come? Right? So it's just having that awareness. So that's an easy place to start 
for people. You've obviously got, you know, some of the helplines and those sort of organisations that you can ring where you stay anonymous, but you've got someone to talk to. And that can be great for in the moment to get you through a tough time if you're not quite ready to go and see somebody. And then if you really think, you know what, I need to probably go and see somebody a bit more regularly and just nut a few things out, then jump on the Australian Psychological Society website and there's a find a psychologist section. You can do the same thing to find a psychiatrist. You can Google good like psychologist in East Melbourne mm. and names will come up or ask somebody if you know somebody who goes and sees a psychologist, like, do you mind if I get the name of that person, how have you felt, is there anyone else at their practice if you don't want to see the same person your friend sees? Mm. So there's there's plenty of ways to do it. And then even if it's um, go to your local council website, there's lots of support groups like Men's Shed. So find out where all the Men's Shed, and Men's Shed isn't men sitting around just sharing all their feelings. Sometimes it might be, but each of those branches runs really differently. So sometimes I'll just sit around and have a beer. Some of them will do woodwork and make things. Sometimes <laughs> it's just masculine. watch. Well, sometimes it's just watch the footy together. Yeah. So they each unit. Build a bunch of shit and watch footy. Correct. <laughs> yep. Each unit runs a little bit differently. So go to three or four of them. Right. Similar to if you went to Alcoholics Anonymous, if you go to any of those groups, they all run a little bit differently. Same principles. Mm. But that particular group or the person who leads that group might be the most comfortable okay. for you. So don't give up if you don't find that person straight up. Don't be patient with them. Right. You just touched on just some like the sort of males in that space. And I think. I think one of the biggest clips we've ever had on TikTok was with a guy, uh, Chocks Chat, this comedian. He talked about like how it was normalized by his boss to like go see someone and get help. Yeah. And we started speaking about like the stigma of, I guess, males' mental health and so forth. Why do you think it is? And and the only reason why I say this is because like the suicide rates of males are significantly higher. Correct. Like the, the statistics around that is, is actually really frightening. Yeah. Why Why do you think it's harder for males to pick up the phone and speak to their mates and say stuff like that? I think part of it is their own self-expectations is that they think they're supposed to be the stronger person in a relationship, whether that's a romantic relationship in a family, that they're not supposed to have problems. That That's so societal, I guess, expectations from years and years ago. That's going to take a long time to break. I think there's cultural things in there as well, depending mm. on how you grew up and what your culture is, that you just get on with things. But everyone's a human being. I don't care what your culture is, what your colour is, what your religion is, what your background is. Every single person's a human being that has, we all have issues. Mm. We all have things that it's nice to get a second opinion on. But I think now when you see, and this is where the space of celebrities and, and high profile athletes, when they come out and they're really open about their mental health, one, that's a massive thing for them to do, but massive because they're sharing their personal life a little bit and they're opening themselves potentially for scrutiny. But the other side is, oh, if that footballer sees somebody, then I can go and see somebody. So they're the ones that are really opening the gates for everyone else to go, this is acceptable now. When it, you know, when, And that probably goes back to your first question, when, when an athlete might give us credit or mention us, the thing I love about that the most is not that, oh, people know who I am. I couldn't give a crap about that. What I care about is going, great, that's now gone, oh, people know this person sees somebody and they've just made it okay because they've been public about it. Mm. So I think that's going to help. But It becomes a bit more cool or. Yeah. But I think too, you know, even <clears throat> the old women, women are more emotional than men. No, they're not. They express it definitely more openly. Yeah. One, because society says that's okay and we've never had to worry about it too much. And sometimes that's misinterpreted over the top or whatever. But I, men have feelings as well. Humans have feelings. I just think women are wired to talk more. And so you hear about our feelings a lot more. Guys have them. They yeah. just don't express it the same way. They often just hold it in. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Because yeah. like I was I was actually really shocked when I saw the um, suicide, suicide rates. Stuff. Yeah. It's like ridiculous. The, yeah. the, and country males particularly. Yeah. Because they're isolated Rural so sort much. Of, yeah. Correct. 18 to 24 is your big age group. What would be some like basic fundamentals for those that live upstairs a lot, like to kickstart their own therapy, like little things to become a bit more conscious or like centered with themselves to yep. rationalize thoughts, rationalize just everything, come back to earth a bit. 
Yeah, so sometimes I think just writing a few things down, it doesn't have to be like a dear diary. Yeah. But sometimes just writing things down. What does that actually do when you've put pen to paper? Because it it does do something. It gets it out. So your brain, I always explain it to people and say your brain's like a bucket. Yeah. Right? It fills up because we've got so much stuff going on. If you don't empty the bucket, it overflows. Then you don't know where, that's chaos then. You don't know where shit's gone and what's leaking out and you can't put your fingers in enough holes because there's too much. It almost seems out. so simple. Yes. Like, it is. do you know what I mean? Just like doing that, that actually relieves tension. Yeah. I used to think, like, there's no way. But I do it a little bit now and I'm like, yeah, I think yeah. it does help. And you don't have to format it. It doesn't, like I said, I think too many people think about that as, oh, dear, dear, dear diary. <laughs> if you want to write it that way, that's perfectly fine. But sometimes it can just be a whole page full of swear words or just random words that are just like pissed off, angry, upset, whatever. Getting it out is emptying the bucket. But the other benefit to it is when you record something regularly, you see your patterns and you're like, and I've been thinking about this for months now. Yeah. So that can make you accountable to yourself. Right. Okay. And it's the safest way to do it if you've never seen somebody or you're not sure how to see somebody. Right. It's the safest way to do it because you can rip it up, throw it away, chuck it in the fire. You've still got it out. Yeah. So that's really beneficial. So I think that's the easy part. I think exercise is huge for your brain because it releases dopamine. Dopamine is your motivation chemical. But if you increase your exercise, you decrease your cortisol, which is your stress chemical. Number one thing that's going to decrease anxiety and stress is movement. So start walking, like start just doing a little bit. It might be 10 minutes a day where you walk up and down the street if you feel a little bit stressed. You know where you see people rocking back and forth? Mm. What they're doing is they're soothing themselves. That movement is increasing that dopamine a little bit, decreasing that cortisol. Right. Yeah. So all those sort of things are really helpful for people. Um, putting music on, anything that has a really strong bass beat will increase your heart rate. So put something on that's really easy to listen to. Like that, meditation, even meditation music and so stuff like that or just actual like music music? Music music right. first. Just stuff that's easy for you to listen to and that you enjoy. Have it on in the background while you're doing the cleaning or while you're cooking or whatever it is. Your brain gets into those rhythms. Mm. So there's a whole line of music, um, Baby Mozart. Okay. And the reason they call it um, Baby Mozart is because Mozart's music has been found to have the most therapeutic rhythms. Really? Yeah. So babies tune into it and it's very calming for them. So this is why I think too more people now listen to classical music and instrumental music because then it's just really nice calm rhythms and you just find you potter around and it just naturally relaxes you. That's fascinating. Yep. The other one is um, the candle industry has gone gangbusters, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So the everyone, mood of the ambient setup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I always will have candles or like diffusers or have a really nice scent in the room. When you smell a scent that you like, it relaxes you. Right. So it's really great if you're going to bed, put a candle on half an hour before you go to bed, that actually when you lay down, you're smelling a scent that you like. You walk into a room and you're like, oh, this smells really nice. Relaxes. You really relax. You don't walk in and go, this smells really nice, yeah. like really angry. <laughs> yeah. You all of a sudden say it really calmly. Yeah. And you don't even realise you're doing it. Wow. Yeah. So there's all those really little. Yeah. There's a formula there. It's all those really little things that people can do before they even have to think about going and speaking to somebody. Correct. And if that doesn't work, then that's where you might go, okay, I probably need to speak to somebody. But even after a day at work, like there's quite a, there is some research around this. When you get home, get changed straight away. You know, when you used to come home from school, mum and dad would go, get out of your school uniform. Yeah. Right. That was more so so that they didn't have to iron it the next day or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right, or it didn't end up on the floor. But when you change your clothes and you get into something more comfortable, that part of your day is done, you actually feel more relaxed. Right. That changes your mood. Okay. Are you big on routine, especially when you're so close to high-performing athletes? Yeah. Because it's funny for me, like, we have obviously a lot of friends in this space and, like, when they get around this point in pre-season of various sports, mm-hmm. they just, like, it makes me laugh, like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Yep. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Like, enjoy it. Well, they've never but had they to can, manage their time because it's can't done for them. Enjoy it. Like, they can, but they can't because yep. they feel like I need to do something yep. all the time. Human beings like structure because it makes us feel in control. Do you think that helps, though, the average day person to have routine, though? Yes. Like, to get set in their ways because. You've got to have 
you can have a baseline routine, but you've got to have also the ability to adapt and be flexible. Okay. Because life changes all yeah. the time. So if you're so rigid that it becomes stressful not to do your routine, then, then we're sort of heading into a, a different space. Right. But if you've got a basic routine, like most people will have a morning routine sometimes without realising it. Like, oh, yeah, I get up, I get dressed, or I get up, I go have a shower, then I have breakfast, then I get dressed, then I leave, and, and that's all done in the space of half an hour. Mm. And they're like, oh, yeah, I have a routine. It wasn't something they set. They've just fallen into it, right? We can have eating routines that are exactly the same is they have the same thing for breakfast yeah. every day. We go to the same cafe every day to get our coffee because we like the fact that the person there knows our name and has our coffee already ready for us because <laughs> they know our order, right? Right. Humans love routine because it makes us feel safe and it makes us feel in control. So there's an element you have to, I think, is hugely beneficial. Chaos, humans not great at chaos. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Or what about getting up at the same time every day? Is that important or not, mm. not really to you? It's, I'm terrible at that. Yeah, getting up within the same hour each day <laughs> is really helpful because your body stays in the same rhythms. If I okay. get up four hours later tomorrow, all my food patterns, so my energy levels, all of that is out. My brain functioning, I'm four hours behind. So I think having roughly the same get-up time, if you've got to sleep in, I always say to people, try not to sleep in more than about 90 minutes past your normal get-up time. So you basically keep your body in the same rhythms. Right. Yeah, that's where Monday-itis comes from because we- weekends, <laughs> yeah, yeah. people would sleep six hours longer than what they normally support. do. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, but now everything's back. Got you. Then it takes you Monday, Tuesday. By Wednesday, you're halfway through your week. Oh, I feel good. <laughs> then Thursday, you're fatigued because you've done three days of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay. So Wednesday's a great day. <laughs> yeah, Outside the hump of that, day. We're screwed. Yeah, we're stuffed. <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted to ask you as well because I'm very like outcome driven and I've never been a lover of the process. And this can be relatable. This was actually one. Um, from someone on the the poll I did as well. Yep. And I don't know if they're referencing like relationships or careers and stuff, but for someone that's, you know, wants to let go of the outcome essentially and focus on the process of whatever it may be, what would be some like sound advice that they could have to start doing that? Because I am actually terrible at that as well. Well, you can't get your outcome without a process. Okay. So <laughs> you need to under- you need to understand that first. You make me sound it's, dumb very quickly. There, you didn't can't you? get your outcome <laughs> unless you've done the steps beforehand. Yeah. So then you've got to break down your steps into things that someone feels is manageable, right? So the bigger the goal, the longer the goal, right? So if they're saying in the next twelve months I want to do this, okay, we're breaking this down to monthly, like smaller outcomes and then what do we need to do within that month to give us the best chance of achieving that outcome so the thing that a process does is it enables you to get closer gives you a higher chance of your outcome no guarantee but it gives you the best chance which means then you don't have regret right you can't sit here and whinge if if you didn't get an outcome if you didn't create a process and then if you didn't stick to that process okay. as well Whereas if I get to the end and I don't get the outcome I want, one, I guarantee you I've got 100% closer than what I would have with no process, but also I'll be disappointed in in the outcome, but I won't be disappointed in myself. Mm. That's the big difference is so then I can move forward to the next thing and trust, okay, I know how to do this. I know where to tweak this and how to get closer. The problem with the process is people are impatient. Yeah. We're now in a society of convenience. Yeah. We want everything. We, we're going to drive through and get drive through liposuction soon, mm. right? Hook me up, suck it out. Thanks very much. I'll go to work now, right? That's kind of where we're headed with things. So people are so impatient because they're not, they haven't learned how to work at things. You think back, like, you know, when the depression was on and most of our grandparents and all that, there was no weekend shopping, there was no late night shopping. They had to get everything and be organized. And then over the weekend, things were in their fridge and in their freezer and whatever it is. And they had to wait till Monday morning to be able to go to the bank or do things that they had to wait in lines more often than we do. Yep. It taught them patience. It taught them process. We lack that now, but process is planning and people get frustrated with the plan. They just want to get going. And that's where all those mindfulness and all those sort of things can really help because then they're a bit more patient with themselves. You've got to learn how to talk yourself through it. Mm. Like you're your own worst enemy. The dialogue in most people's head 
I always say to people, think about it this way. Write down everything that you say to yourself that you would never say to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking a, scary that's list. A scary that, is, list. that is a scary Jesus. list. And then you say to people, right, so why would you never say those things to someone else? Okay. And they're like, well, that's really mean or like that's not going to help them. I'm like, oh, okay, what's that doing for you? And they're like, yeah, that's making me feel like shit and it's not helping. I'm like, okay, so we're on the same page. Right. right so let's now control our dialogue. You don't have to be over the top positive. You have to be constructive. Okay. Right, there's no point in you saying, you know, I'm never going to be able to do that. Okay, well, I'm not going to guarantee you will either. But I'll tell you what, how about we break it down and I'm like, what do you think it's going to take to do that? Let's break all the components of that result. Break it down. Okay, where do we start? Yeah. Let's do this part first. <clears throat> make it a bit of fun, change up their environment, go from there. I also think cuz like there's probably been a few things, well, quite a few things where I've been outcome driven, but when I've actually loved something, like I don't even almost look at the outcome. I live in the process, like podcasting yep. or playing soccer. Yep. So when mm. coming back to that question, I think you have to like love whatever it is you want that outcome to be. Absolutely. Or else you're not going to enjoy it. And then it's, is it really worth it? Yeah. And that comes back to when you said before, like for me, I love my job. I'm passionate about it. I love seeing someone evolve. Yeah. I love seeing them learn about themselves and realize, oh my God, I can actually do this stuff. Like there's really cool parts of me. That part is amazing. And I'm passionate about seeing that happen. So when they come in and people sit down and they're like, so I just need to be able to do this. I'm like, okay, cool. What's my role? And they're like, oh, I'm like, so you know how to do that, right? And they're like, no, that's your job. Right. Oh, you're going to help me do that. Okay, cool. I actually forget what they've probably first told me. I'm just like, oh, how was this week? What'd you do? How'd you cope with this? My whole day is process, process, process. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you, you get to see in sport, you actually get to see an outcome. Yeah. Right? So that's, for me, it helps balance out that clinical stuff versus that real high achieving component as right. well. Because, yeah, this is one of the things that's fascinating to me. And it was a, actually another question that was brought up, but reaching that sort of elite performance, high performance or that outcome that. Yep. A player knows they can do, but they're not consistent with it every week. Yep. How do you help them bridge that gap to try and be as consistent as possible or play eight or nine out of 10 every week yep. that they know that they're capable of? So part of it is what we've just said in terms of routines. Okay. Is, so you'll take hmm. them back, strip it back to what do you normally do? What's yep. your process? So if, if we have a routine and something goes wrong, I'm going to be able to go back and go, well, it's not these things because we do this every week and we've had success. So it actually makes it easier for me to find the problem. If we do something really well, I'm going to go, yep, that's because we're consistent and we do that. So I've got to keep track right. of that sort of stuff. <clears throat> so okay. it's then being able to break it all down and just go, okay, let's measure as much stuff as we can. So sports science, we literally know how many breaths someone takes, how many heartbeats they have, like how many farts they have in a day. All the, we know so much physiologically. Yeah, We can't possibly learn any more right. from that. But psychologically – and routines in that, we record so little. Like now it's about going, this is really valuable information because it allows me to see your patterns. It allows me to see, oh, we changed that this week. How was that? Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. Don't change everything in one go. Let's try this for the next three weeks. Works great. We'll stick to it. Doesn't work. We'll change it up. So to get to that high performance, you've got to be really realistic with your goal setting. Yeah. You've really got to look at your timeframes and I've really got to understand who's in front of me as my starting point. Right. Because somebody's, somebody's understanding of, okay, so you come to me and you're a 17-year-old and you want to be drafted in whatever sport, soccer, football, whatever, and I'm like, well, what do you think you need to do? Oh, that's what this person does. No, no, that's what you see. What do you think they do? So then when you hear, and this is where I think podcasting has played such a big role because mm. you hear what an athlete does Correct. week in, week out. You hear what they struggle with. The, the top athletes, and you know this, the top athletes in the world, they make mistakes. Yeah. Funnily enough, like Roger Federer hits a ball into the net <laughs> sometimes, you know, like but the top basketballers, they miss shots, right? Yep. They pass it to the wrong person. Yep. You know, um, sometimes a runner goes the wrong way. <laughs> like, you know, they're they're on a trail run or whatever it is and they take a wrong turn or they they haven't eaten something properly. Like they're not perfect. 
So I think this is where the podcasting comes in is it teaches people and listen to someone's story. Stories are invaluable mm. because it really gives you an insight into process and timeframes and patience and all that. Nobody is the top at what they do, whether that's an athlete or anything else, without having done all the hard yards. Yeah, it's like literally given everything. Every single thing. Every, like I had a, almost every day. I had a student yeah. come to me once and they're like, so I want to do what you do, but do I have to go to uni for that long? <laughs> How do I click a button? And I'm like, so I think we should probably look at a new career. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yep. Either correct. don't go to uni, but yeah, there's no there's no way around it. Well, I almost thought you had a new career this year because I started seeing you lining up on the bench for the pies. I was. And I'm like, wait a second. Last is that year Jack- as well. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah, t- yeah. I was like, what is going on there? And then I actually went to a few games and I'd see players come off the bench and they'd be catching a breath and taking a walk and you'd be with them and I'd just see you like talking to them. Yeah. So break this down for me and like, because I feel like this might be country nationwide first, (laughs) right? Like I'm not going to say world first, but in the AFL, I don't think there's many sports psychs doing that. There there? was one a few, like many years ago, um, Phil Jauncey was at the Brisbane Lions and I know he um, walked the – um, the boundary with them and that sometimes. Um, but, yeah, the, for me that's like it makes complete sense for me to be doing this. It makes complete sense as soon as I saw it too because I'm like, oh, my God. We manage things in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Players come off if they're frustrated. I So I know I know their routines pretty well. Like I've mm. learnt them now over a couple of years. So, you know, I can tell if that player goes and sits there, he don't want to talk to anybody. Like, so let's, let's probably give them a bit of space. You know, it's that person needs 30 seconds. No, that person will want the phone straight away. Sometimes it's, it's like grab your bottle, go for a walk. Like I don't want to talk to you right now. Or they'll be like, can you come? Sometimes my role is literally just to listen right? so that they can just vent and get out whatever their thinking is. And then I'm like, do you need me to do anything here or are we good? And they're like, nope, I feel better. I've just got it out. So would the player more, would it be a bit more selective on them as when they want to utilize you? It's their choice. So it's purely their choice. It's purely their choice. So there's a couple of ways it works sometimes. um, And this year it's been good because we've had Fly on the bench with us. Yeah. Um, So he and I can communicate either just by looking at each other or saying something and pick up. If someone just seems a bit off, then I can quickly get down manage them in terms of, okay, what are your strengths? Where, What have we been working on? So it's because they're emotional and they've got adrenaline going. There's so much happening. I'm the calm head. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to go out there and get hit. I don't have to have crowd having a crack at me, whatever it is. So I'm calm as. Mm-hmm. So I can have clear thinking because I don't have the emotion and that, whereas they have the emotion so you can do some of that thinking. So it's managing the moments in the moment. It's the best. It's incredible. It's so Who, whose decision was that? So did you ever kind of push that as like, this might be a good narrative? Because it's such a high interchange game. Yeah. Like for instance, with maybe cricket, where they stay on the field for five days, you might yeah. not be able to chat to the batsman in the middle, and yeah. maybe at a drinks break or something, but Correct. soccer you couldn't, but footy and basketball. You can. You can. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty much driven by the players. So when I first went down um, and I'd been with them for a little bit and then they started obviously getting into the season, so pre-season was pretty much finished. And then they just sort of said, oh, the players want you on the bench um, so that they can actually talk really? to you and use so you in the moment. came so from the, the players? So it originally came from the players. Wow. And now it's just become, that's kind of just how it works. It's the norm. And, yeah, and it really allows me to make notes to then follow up with certain things. I hear conversations. I can hear their self-dialogue. Like if they're coming in, if they're frustrated, I can pick up stuff that they don't. But then when you talk to them, you go back and look at the footage and you're like, we are aware of this. So it really allows us to get right into the nitty gritty. I feel like it's given me the best opportunity to do my job at the highest level. And I feel like the players are benefiting. That is literally at the highest level. Like you are literally one metre from getting tackled. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also you get a much better sense of, you know, how frantic it can be on the bench or how calm it can be on the bench or, you know, I can hear the messages coming down from the box and I'm like, oh, I just want to change that language a little bit. Sometimes it's giving feedback to the coaches in those breaks Mm. and just saying, hey, just have an awareness of this. This is where we're at. Really clear messaging. Or the coaches will message down and go, hey, what's the resets for this player? Mm. So it just allows really in the moment communication and if they get to a point where they're like uh, we don't want you on the bench then you go yeah so i think it's all got to be player driven 
Because I also think there's a very lack of, uh, there's a lack of sympathy for errors at the highest level. Yep. And when it's happening, and particularly when you're a young kid or whatever, to, you've got to like bounce back and come back into yep. the game. That's where I thought your role would be fantastic, just a level set and like yeah. bring them back to like that, that moment doesn't define you, saw three quarters left or whatever there is, you know. Sport needs to get over the fact that an error is a bad thing. No, and especially uh, in AFL, like it's a very tough game to go through without having any errors. Like well, there's 44 impossible. people on the and pitch. The, and there are people coming at you from every single – it's played on the ground, it's played at standing, it's played in the air, and people can come from 360. Mm. Like are you kidding me that there's not going to be any errors? Yeah. Because there is no time sometimes to process. This is why they have to work so much off their gut is because there isn't that thinking time. So you're able to say, mate, there's nothing else you could have done there. Yeah. But an error is not a bad thing. I know it can be frustrating, but it's going to happen. Let's embrace it, let's understand it, and then let's move on from it. Correct. Do you think if the public and the sporting sort of public and fan base of you know, the AFL, for example, if we saw some of your conversations you were having with certain players and people – our whole view and perception of the game would change yep. and how we it would cheer, humanize, how we- would humanize the athletes. I think it would also, um, it would stop a lot of the shit on Twitter um, and the social media forums where people have these opinions, oh, he doesn't care. Uh, well, I wish you could hear our conversation during the match because he definitely cares. There's not a single elite athlete out there that doesn't care. No. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, those if they say ignorant they comments. When, when they get tackled or when something happens, then their pride's on the line. Yeah. It's- yeah, or he just needs to pull his head in and this and that. Oh, okay, well, it's that easy because you've played 300 games yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, yeah, come yeah. and tell us. So I think it would teach people to go, we are on top of this as much as is humanly possible. Um, but it would also be people find it fascinating. There's a fascination with what goes on at the top level, yeah. and we're getting more and more detailed in it. And the we humans get elements of it in the podcasts, yeah. Like, but we don't. Your levels of a different world, yeah. And sometimes you don't want to hear the conversation. Well, yeah, I know. But I just yeah. think if people had insight into real some of the real stuff that people go through in that yeah. world, and yeah. then they're like, how, "Well, you'd be like, how the fuck is this guy running out on, yeah. you know, Amy Park or?" MCG or, you yeah. know, wherever the Gabba on the, this weekend, like if he's gone through that stuff. It's also the stuff no. that would distract, like people don't realise, you know, if a player gets reported, that plays on their mind. Yeah. Some don't worry about it and they can get on with the game, but they're straight after the game, they're worried, like, oh, I'm not potentially not going to be here next week for or for the next two or three weeks. And they want to play, they want to compete. So it would help people understand that, you know what, they care, they do give a shit about stuff, they worry about stuff, they're humans. Mm. Do you think the generation of elite athletes now probably miss the boat of like brain training through their teens to prepare for this sort of world? Or do you think, because I feel like now it's it's like a lot of, like one of my biggest regrets was not training my brain as much as I did my yeah, physical yeah. body because all this stuff was thrown at me and my brain and ego didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And, like, I felt like my ability was here, but if I was honest, like, this was down here. Yeah. But is that the same for everyone or is that changing now? Like, Athletes are better at it than coaches. So yeah. I think previously what's happened, certainly at the start of my career, what I found was coaches got very concerned that you were getting closer to their athletes than they were and that you knew stuff. And I don't think they understood that what I was trying to do was complement what they were doing. Yeah. Like I'm in alignment. I'm not going to go and tell our players to do something that is out of our system. Correct. That I'm not a coach. So I'm not telling them how to play their systems and and all that sort of stuff. I'm telling them how to cope within that system. Right. Okay. So I think they haven't missed the boat because if you do it frequently enough, like we can upskill you pretty quickly in that. But I think some of the coaches still need to come on board with this is actually sports psych for the coaches is is super helpful. Yeah. Because they're the ones, their relationship with the athlete is the most important. Okay. So they need to know how to communicate. They're not trained in this. We train for 10 years plus to do this. Yeah. Right? Like I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, I've got four degrees <clears throat> and have to do PD every <laughs> single year. That costs me thousands of dollars to be able to learn this. And I train this because I'm talking it every day. I don't right. expect a coach to know what I know, but I do expect if there's a resource there where they can help their player and help themselves and control their own emotion, understand the impact you have on your player, get the skills yourself. Then mm. all of a sudden you'll get more out of your players. Right. Okay. Like if I do my job really well, there's an element of it I can basically make myself somewhat redundant. Right. 
Like, I don't need to do that anymore. The coaches have learned it. They can do it. Great. I can just now deal with this stuff. Got you. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'll do myself have a job. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) We need you in there. But you know what? We're going to round this out because I know we're near at time, but um, this is going to be fun because this is some of the questions we've got from the listeners. Okay. So um, some are a bit deep, some are interesting for me, and some are just a bit funny as well. But um, one was, how do you be alone without being lonely? So being alone is just a physical state. I'm in this room on my own. Loneliness is a feeling. So, yeah, if you're feeling something, you could be in a crowd of a thousand people. And still feel lonely. And still feel lonely because you don't feel you're connected to anybody. So connection is the biggest thing for loneliness. Okay, so building connection, trying to find connection. That's why COVID had so many mental health concerns. Yeah, because people were isolated. Yeah, we've got like half a million people in Victoria that live on their own. And they were not allowed to go and see somebody until nine months in. The government went, oh, hang on a second. Yeah. They should probably see somebody. Yeah, okay. No shit. This, this for me is an interesting one. But who does a psychologist go to see when they need help? A psychologist. Do they? Yeah. 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 We have, so we have a network. I have a really great network of amazing psychologists um, and we're really supportive of each other. Um, or you'll like, use your own personal your own personal networks. Like, you, but is it like a rule? Like even though you could probably identify what's going on, you, would you still not see yourself? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like a rule. You it's don't, a really good question. You don't go to your own knowledge and known headspace yeah. when it's about you. So you, your ability to self-manage is probably pretty good, but the higher the emotion, the less the clarity. Right. So I'm going to be emotional because it's my life. So I need someone who's not emotional to be able to see things that I may not see. Right. So it's so, so important that a psychologist has a supervisor constantly through your career and you have an amazing group of peers that you can debrief with. Okay. Now this one is, I don't know if this is to like a family or a relationship or something like that, but best way to uh, let go of like an attachment that like, I don't know, some sort of loving attachment was the way it was framed. Okay. So grieving it grieving. is really important. Right. People try and rush through and go, I'll just keep myself busy. No, no, it's okay to grieve. So acknowledge it, grieve it, get someone to help you through that grieving process. Let's find out where that fitted for you in your life and why it's so hard to let go of. Mm. Like by letting go of it, what do you think that means for you? Oh, it's forgetting that person. No, it's not. It's not. You'll never forget that person. You don't stop loving someone because they passed away or whatever or if you really love that job and you lost it, let's grieve first and then let's move through. People try and avoid the grief and the uncomfortable emotions. I always say to people, sit in the shit. It stinks. <laughs> you'll sit there for a little while and then you'll move on when you're sick of the smell. Okay. Got you. Interesting. <laughs> now, I don't, very know if this, I don't know if this one's, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if this one's targeted at you for like what you do okay. or just a general thing. But when you're down, when you're down and struggling, what do you fall back onto to get yourself ahead? Um, so number one, you'd go back to your strengths. If you're an athlete, go back to your strengths. Um, if it's you as a human being, go to your people. And that, go to the things that make you feel like you. So for me, I've got to put music, swimming. I just find peace when I'm around the water. So going to the beach, around the pool, all that sort of stuff. So find the things that make you feel you. Okay. Right? might be simple foods. It might be just have a doona day and just watch a whole day <laughs> of like Friends if that's your favourite show. Humour is really, really helpful. Okay. But know what makes you you and don't be afraid to go to it. Jackie Louder, you just nailed this one out of the park oh, again. No problem. They're one of the best sports psychologists <laughs> or psychologists for that matter in this country. You're uh, wonderful to talk to. One of the most sort of shows that I've been looking forward to because of the Thank feedback you. we've been getting in between the last one around like this topic. So I feel like you're going to be a bit more of a regular guest. Because, I'm happy to. Because people love hearing about it. I think it actually helps them. So thank yep. you very much. No worries. You're welcome. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.